I'm Ben Davies, and this is The Clear Money Mindset. We're not back to where we were in February. That's going to take, we think, months, uh, 12 to 18 months. But we think that we've seen the worst in terms of the economic shock. And so from here on out, we're going to see improvement. Now, some months it's going to be a little bit more gradual, a little bit more stagnant, but improvement nonetheless. Welcome to the Clear Money Mindset, providing you with help and tips to manage your money in a clear and intentional way. I'm your host and financial advisor, Ben Davies. At Davies Financial Sterling Mutuals, we want to provide you with meaningful tips to help you with your money. So what comes next? This is a question a lot of investors are asking. Today, we will try to see past the pandemic by looking at what has happened, some things that cause us concern moving forward, and some positive things that have come out of all this. And we'll explore what we anticipate happening in the future. We'll explore this with our special guest, Philip Peterson. Philip is the Chief Investment Strategist and Head of Capital Management at Manulife Investment Canada. Listen in as we discuss the outlook for the coming months and years ahead. All right, well, good afternoon, everyone. We are happy to be joined by Philip Peterson. He's the Chief Investment Strategist of, and Head of Capital Management at Manulife Investment Management. In these roles, Philip has a range of investment strategy responsibilities from market and economic analysis to investor education. The latter is what brings him here with us today. Philip, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, ben, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So the title of this podcast is Seeing Past the Pandemic, which right now is an awfully tough thing to do being in it. And we want to look at the market conditions currently and try to give clients some positives to take away from this, to look past 2020 and uh, see into, not see into the future, but to have something to look past. So we're now about five to six months into the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you paint us a picture of where things sit now? Certainly. So we've seen what we would suggest is the great drop in market activity, economic activity, consumer behavior, and so on. And that occurred a lot of part of February, March, and into April um, in, with the shutdowns. Yep. The shutdowns that we saw in Canada, the shutdowns we saw in Europe, and in the United States. Since then, call it from maybe the beginning of June, as we started to see states open up, provinces open up, you know, economies look like they bottomed, meaning we've seen the worst in terms of the economic drag of the lockdown, uh, the unemployment, uh, the, the shock uh, to consumer spending and, and so on. And now things are starting to improve. Now, we need to put that in perspective. How are things improving? They're improving off of a very low level. We're not back to where we were in February. That's going to take, we think, months, uh, 12 to 18 months. But we think that we've seen the worst in terms of the economic shock. And so from here on out, we're going to see improvement. Now, some months it's going to be a little bit more gradual, a little bit more stagnant, but improvement nonetheless. The Our base premise is that if we see a second wave or a third wave, now we're not medical professionals, we read 
you know, reports, but I'm not qualified to, to suggest that, oh, no, we're going to see another wave you know, in the fall. I have no idea. Yeah. But what we suspect, and this is our base case assumption, is that if we were to see a second or third wave, we wouldn't see the same kind of economic shutdown that we had in March and April. And we're seeing that right now in the United States, you know, where, where the number of COVID cases continue to climb, there's a resistance to completely shut down. And I think that's what we're going to see. So that comes back to the fact that we believe the worst is behind us. It's going to take a while to get back to where we were in January, but we're, we're on that path. Great. Now for clients looking at their statement, the trip from March to now has been a bit crazy. I, I don't know as an advisor, if I would have expected to be sitting here now where the markets are. So before we get into the positive, let's talk about some things that might keep you up a little bit at night. What are some things that cause you a bit of caution as we move forward that as we look at the positives that have happened, are there any things that should make us pause a bit uh, as we look at moving forward? Certainly, we need to understand how we got to where we are today in terms of the market recovery. So what I mean by that is, as you said, this has been a shocking recovery. Yeah. Uh, how quick it's, it's come. The bear market was fast. We hit, you know, we, we were down 35% in 20 some odd days. And we've recovered almost all of that using the S&P 500 or the US equity you know, market as our benchmark. Uh, we've recovered almost all of that to where we are today, middle of August. No one, I think, would have predicted that the recovery would have been this fast. Mm. How did we get there? You know, how did we, we see this kind of recovery? Very, very quick and significant stimulus support from the federal government in Canada and the federal government in the United States and provincial governments and so on to mitigate the economic shock. And then monetary support or... Um, a stimulus from central banks, Bank of Canada, Federal Reserve in the United States, European Central Bank, and so on. In particular, what we saw out of the United States, the Federal Reserve um, launched a new quantitative easing program, which in the past has been known as printing money. And, and in this case, actually, that's exactly what they did. Yeah. They inflated their balance sheet. They injected, uh, we're looking at, at $3 trillion little over $3 trillion into the U.S. economy in new money. Now, we always say money has to find a home. It's yeah. not you or I going out and buying new houses or cars or things like that. You know, consumer behavior has, has slowed down. So this money has gotten into the financial markets. Stocks are up, gold's up, bonds are up, right? And, and so we see monetary inflation. So to your question, what keeps me up at night? That's how we got here. There's yeah. a balance to everything. And there's a cost to everything. What's the cost to the Fed's quantitative easing program today? What's the cost to the fiscal stimulus and the massively increased debt loads of U.S. government and Canadian government to, you know, down the road? It's probably going to be a uh, higher inflation. Okay. Uh, I think as a result of that, we'll probably see higher interest rates at the longer end of, of maturities uh, and a weaker U.S. dollar. And we've seen that, in fact, you know, from the, uh, the peak in March to where we are today, the U.S. dollar uh, is down about 10% relative to a basket of other of foreign currencies. That, I believe, is a direct result of what the Fed has done. And yeah. so we got to be careful about inflation. 
And we've got to be mm-hmm. careful about a weaker U.S. dollar and down the road what that could mean to uh, asset prices. And we have a lot of clients ask this. This may be outside of our scope today, but I've had a lot of clients say, well, this just means we're going to get taxed more. All this government money that's come in. You have a simple way to put how does how does this all get unwound? So government gives people money. You have the bank putting money into the market, so to speak. How do you reverse that and bring things back to normal? It's a great question. Um, We've seen over the past hundreds of years, countries get into trouble by issuing too much debt. uh, And the way you get out of it is you grow your way out of it. So your economy grows and your your tax base grows to cover the debt. Um, You increase your taxes So rather than increase your economy, you increase your taxes to pay your way out of it. Nobody likes that method. No, nobody likes that. Nor do I think that's going to happen in the near term. Down the road, maybe, who knows? But over the short term, I don't think we're going to see that because that's going to be detrimental to the economic recovery. Or the other way is you default or devalue your way out of it. And so that that is an implied transfer of wealth. Instead of taxing you, Ben, instead of saying, hey, I'm going to tax you and increase uh, 10% more, for uh, the debt that I've taken on on your behalf, I'm just going to devalue the currency, you know, or default, you know, out of that currency, and you're going to end up 10% poorer anyway, right. because your asset prices are going to fall. Yeah, and so that's or the value of those assets are going to fall because measured by the dollar or whatever it is. That I think is is what we're starting to see a little bit now, yeah. um, and it'll be a, some combination of all of that down the road. I highly doubt that the Canadian government is going to default, or the U.S. government is going to default, or European governments are going to default. That's not likely to happen. Um, it happens in places like Argentina, and Russia, and Venezuela, but it's unlikely to happen here. What is more likely to happen here is a combination of growth, taxation, and devaluation. Okay. Moving to a lighter note, what are some things that you're excited about? What are some positive things that you think have happened? What do you think are some of the positive things that will happen that will come out of the pandemic? There's always some sort of good in the middle of all this bad that happens. Certainly. Um, well, one, knowing that everything that we set up up to now, you can protect yourself from this happening. And that's by owning assets that move higher or hold their value. And this is why you know gold has done well over the last little while. Gold, um, relative to the U.S. dollar, has moved up as the U.S. dollar has weakened. You know, and so that it has maintained its store of wealth. So that kind of gets me excited, saying, "Hey, I know how this ends up. I know how this plays out. Fine." I'll make sure I'm owning assets that yeah. are somewhat inflation protected or, or dollar protected, gold, stocks, things like that. But outside of that, what gets me excited about what we've been doing is, is really kind of you know, a realization of, of changing behaviors. Um, and I don't know where this ends up, but you know, it hasn't been all bad, right? I read stories, well, first, I know personally spending more time with my family and less time on the road. Yeah has been fantastic. So I've really enjoyed that. And then being far more active than in the past. And you know, maybe you've seen the articles that if you're trying to buy a bicycle, if you've been trying to buy a bicycle this past summer, it's yeah. been near impossible to do. Yeah. Why? Well, people are getting it, right? People are, are exploring more. They're, they're exploring this country more. Uh, they're, they're exploring their neighborhoods more. And I think that's a great thing, you know, where you stop, you take a breath, and you look at just what's around you and enjoy what's around you as opposed to the rat race of always trying to consume, consume, consume. Yeah. 
Well, I think sometimes I know for me, I've got four kids running around at home, my wife and I, and you get so busy. And in our practice, we try to be more holistic. And I think sometimes we forget that investing isn't just about getting more money. It's about being able to maintain a lifestyle. And if we can now adapt to doing this in a way where we can spend more meaningful time at home, that's, that's a plus for sure. We're getting asked a lot, um, clients coming in, GICs renewing, and it, they're not paying to have GICs yet, although they might feel like it, but rates are obviously low. That's no secret to anyone. What do you say to retirees who would traditionally stay out of the markets completely? They've had their money in GICs for a number of years, and over the last number of years, they're watching those renewal rates go down, down, down. Now, you know, even for someone who wants to park their money, uh, who would have thought we'd live in a day if you get one and a half percent, you'd be happy, right? Um, Do you think it's a time uh, for those clients to consider diversifying a bit more out of the GICs to give them more potential opportunity? Or do you think, and I know it's all situational, so we're not giving client advice, but just as a general rule, should we start looking at the idea of some fixed income or equities to start bolstering returns over time? In my view, if a client is looking for income in today's environment, they have to look at alternative sources of income. We've heard from the Bank of Canada that their low interest rate policy with the overnight rate being one quarter of 1% is gonna remain until 2023. Now that's not a, a firm commitment, but that's what their expectation is. And so therefore that's what our expectation should be. If that's the case, then realistically, while we expect to see longer term interest rates move up, what are we thinking about? Well, today the Canadian 10 year yield is about half of a percent. So in a year's time, it might be one to one and a half of a percent. Sure. That's not very exciting, right? It's very difficult to sit there and say, oh, that, that'll do especially when we consider that we believe inflation is gonna be above that. Right. So now you're gonna have an erosion of purchasing power because of higher inflation. So what we need to do is again, find alternatives to that. So I think investors that are looking to, to quote, protect their assets in a uh, GIC or GIC type investment are going to realize or may, I should say, may realize an erosion of purchasing power because inflation is going to outstrip interest rates. Mm. And therefore that, you know, say $10,000 investment that they believe is secure is actually in, in, on a parity basis going to be worth less. So where are some of these alternatives? I'm a, a big fan and have been for years of dividend paying equities and dividend growing equities. Uh, where interest rates are, you compare that to the dividend yields of some very, very well-known, safe, secure companies um, that we rely on every day, regardless of the coronavirus, Right. Uh, those dividends are multiples of what you can get on a GIC with the potential to grow, meaning the company can actually grow that income. Now, we haven't even talked about the potential for the company to grow its business and that be priced into the stock uh, valuation, but from an income perspective, there's some very, very attractive opportunities out there. Now, while dividends aren't guaranteed, at least there's a chance 
uh, a better chance that those dividends will keep pace with inflation, if not outpace inflation over time. Yeah. That's, uh, that's great advice. Um, question. This, this isn't on my list to ask you, but I got to. I feel like you've probably been asked this a thousand times. Um, you can make this quick. U.S. election. How much do you think this uh, affects things, affects the recovery? You think it's something that happens, always happens, and we're going to keep on going? Or is this election special? A lot of people would like to think it is because um, it's so polarized. How do you think it changes things? Should we be worried about that or? We do don't think? believe. Yeah, you know, we've done a lot of work on this uh, going back to the 20s. Uh, and what we found is that anecdotally, or not anecdotally, the numbers would suggest that a Democratic president enjoys better market returns than a Republican president. Okay. But you know, you have to take that with a grain of salt because yeah. that's skewed up for the Democrats during the Clinton years, where Bill Clinton enjoyed four years of 20% plus returns on the S&P 500, which is very rare, and we know what that led to. And then following Bill Clinton, you had George uh, W. Bush, who had to deal with the 2001-2002 uh, bear market, and then the great financial crisis. So the Republican results are skewed down because of a couple of, of exogenous events. And, and say, likewise, the Democratic um, the results are skewed up. But what we've seen is that regardless of Republican or Democrat in the White House, markets tend to go up over time. Mm. And so this this election, much like the last election, is, is drawing uh, a lot of, of attention sure. and... You know, obviously, people are very passionate one way or the other about about who's right. running. Um, and I, like I heard in 2016, people have said, well, if Trump wins, I'm selling everything. <laughs> wrong way to think about it. That's yeah. the wrong way to think about it. So I guess to answer your question is we pay attention to political policy, but not elections. Elections are interesting. They're great TV. This one's going to be fascinating to watch. Sure. But do we... Do we position ourselves with respect to an asset allocation based on the outcome? No, that's the wrong thing to do. Um, it's always the wrong thing to do. You focus on the fundamentals. And some people say, well, if, if the Democrats get in, then we're going to see increased taxes. I don't believe that's going to be the case. You know, Likewise, if the Republicans get in, that the markets will grow up another 30 40%. I don't believe that's going to be the case. It really comes down to the fundamentals. So as much as we like to talk about it every four years, in our view... It's irrelevant to an asset allocation decision. Yeah, I think right now, especially like it'd be suicide for anybody who wants to like really jack up taxes at a time like this. It's a, whoever is going to be leading the country. It's going to be a different time than they've ever had. Well, our time's almost done here, but I wanted to ask you one more thing. Uh, we're big proponents of active management. We think it's valuable. We think if you find the right manager, you can do well. And I think in the time we're in, um, personally, I, th I think there's a great case for it. But I, I wanted to ask you, what unique opportunities do you feel that active management brings to the table in the time that we're in right now, where there's just a lot of change all the time? I think what active management brings is a disciplined process uh, and an opportunity to take advantage of market volatility. And perhaps uh, what active management also does is get investors closer to their goals. Meaning, I don't have a problem with ETFs, exchange-traded funds. I think if, if people want to use them, that's fine. 
but understand what you're getting. You're getting the market 100% up, 100% down. Yeah. Right. Is that actually what you wanted? You know, or did you want a return profile that is a little bit smoother? Perhaps, you know, I don't need market return. So I, I don't think there's there's one solution for everything, but I, I do believe in active management because I understand that the opportunity set changes. And to look at the S&P 500 and to understand over the last year, year and a half that it's been driven by a, a small number of names and to think that that's going to continue, I think is to make a mistake. Mm. And investors, and I think Canada actually is a great example of that, where a Canadian equity active managed solution can avoid some of the pitfalls of the energy sector, of um the banks, when the banks look overvalued, you know, it allows the, the manager to really uh, use flexibility to our advantage. Yeah. Flexibility of not having to own Canada and owning stocks in the United States, um, not having to own energy to the same extent that it's represented in the TSX, um, being not having to buy into the, the cannabis euphoria that rode up yeah. in January of 2018 only to collapse. So I think that's the, uh, that's the importance of active management. It can align our goals with a portfolio that has the best opportunity to meet those goals. Yep. Yeah, and we find, you know, the longer I'm at this, I'm pretty young, but, or at least I think I still am. You see so many different themes and ideas come in where clients say, you know, we need to buy this. And so many times it's the, it's the wrong time. And over time though, I found that, as boring as a defined process is and how asset allocation is, it's so important. You know, in times like this, clients called not on the up for us, they called on the down. That's what they cared the most about. And I, pe- I think people forget that when things are flying up, but to have somebody mitigating that on the way down, clients are calling and it's like markets are down X, but we're not down near as much. There's a lot, there's a lot of peace of mind in that. and I think for us, it's what's kept a lot of clients invested, knowing that, you know, the market was much worse than they were. So, well, Philip, this has been great. I just want to thank you on behalf of uh, my clients for coming on and doing this with us. Your insight has been extremely helpful, and I think our clients will benefit from it greatly. Ben, thank you. It's been a great pleasure. I appreciate the time that you've uh, you've afforded me, and and, uh, good luck. Thanks for listening to the Clear Money Mindset. We at Davies Financial Sterling Mutuals are here to help you thrive with your finances. You can find us online at daviesfinancial.ca. For help with your personal finances, you can email us at office at daviesfinancial.ca. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of Sterling Mutuals Inc. Mutual funds provided through Sterling Mutuals Inc. Commissions, trailer commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the simplified prospectus before investing. Mutual funds are not guaranteed, their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated.